Hi there, I'm Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire, and this is the Love to Tell the Story podcast. As Christians, we are ever and always called to be doing good for the sake of Jesus Christ. And in that, great and wonderful things can happen. But be aware, there are also consequences for doing good. That's the subject of today's message, which is entitled Doing Good, and is based on 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 17. Let me just emphasize this, friends, because it is an essential spiritual truth for us as the church, and we need to say it often, that through the risen Christ, we are a resurrection people. And as such, there's always to be a link between our faith and our practice, between the life we lead and this new life that we are given in Jesus Christ. In other words, friends, if you and I are to truly understand that Jesus Christ has given us new life, then what other response can there possibly be than to be living good lives and doing good things? As the great 18th century theologian, the founder of Methodism, John Wesley, said it, and I'm sure you've heard this before, do all the good you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. Don't you love that? And you hear all of that, and you realize the point is not so much for us to become, in the words of the Wizard of Oz, good deed-doers, but rather for us to do good simply because Jesus did good. It is that new commandment that Jesus gave us to love one another as he has loved us and to make that love real by what we do. This is who we are. This is who we are as a resurrection people. And that's our shared mission. In fact, I would venture a guess here today that one of the primary reasons we come here today and every Sunday is so that by God's Spirit and by grace, we might be empowered to and be nurtured in the unity of spirit, sympathy, love for one another, with tender hearts and humble minds. Being prepared so that we can go out there and do good in the week ahead. And having said that, let me just add something to that. There is much that we can do. There is much that we should do and so much that we are able to do far more than most of us ever dream possible. Indeed, as Paul wrote to the Philippians, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. 
The question for us, the challenge for us, friends, is whether we're willing and able to face the consequences of those actions. Whether or not we can go out there and deal with the consequences of doing good. One day, some years ago now, I was driving through the Old Port region up in Portland, Maine. And I was trying to inch my car into a parking space on one of the very small, narrow, and very crowded back streets they have there. A lot of it's even in cobblestone down there. It's quite beautiful, but it's treacherous to park in. And, and I know this for a fact because as I'm doing this that day, I look up and I see these two young girls in a little red convertible racing up the street toward me doing, I know, 60 miles an hour at least. In that split second, I was absolutely certain I was about to be involved in a serious accident. And so were they. And I know this because the driver of that red convertible slammed on her brakes, her tires squealed, and you could see both the passengers lurching forward in their front seats. It was close. Too close. But luckily, we missed each other, and everybody was okay. Still, I could tell that the girls in the other car, both of them looking to be teenagers, by the way, were clearly shaken by what just almost happened, and they looked terrified. So I followed my first instinct both as a pastor and as a dad. And I immediately got out of my car to walk over to the convertible to make sure they were all right. Now, thinking back on it, honestly, I'm not sure I knew what I was going to do or what I thought I was, could do. Maybe I could calm them down. Maybe I could reassure them that, this, that everything was fine. Perhaps even gently remind them in a fatherly sort of way that that the speed limit on that particular street was 25 miles per hour, and perhaps that would be something for them to keep in mind as they move forward. Hey, it was a plan, right? It was a plan for doing good. And moreover, <clears throat> I am pleased to say it was a plan grounded in Christian love. But the thing is, is I never got a chance to follow through. Because almost immediately as I approached that car... The look of fear that I saw on their faces turned to one of rage. And well, let's just say as they hit the gas and as their tires squealed once again, these two young women offered up a gesture expressing great displeasure with me. <laughs> but here's the preacher's mindset. Immediately I'm thinking, now there's a parable for you. You know, and I remember that there was this guy across the street at his shop who saw the whole thing, and I looked over at him, and he looked at me, and he just went and went back into the shop, shaking his head. What it was was just a small but fairly profound example of what can happen when our doing good comes up against a world that's resistant to our effort. Sometimes, not always, thankfully, the response to our random acts of kindness isn't love returned or even simple gratitude. But what you get sometimes is fear and anger. You know this. The fact is, no matter how good we are, there are always going to be people, no matter how you reach out to them, who feel the need to lash out at you. 
or at the world or at life or just because. Now, why this happens is anybody's guess. Perhaps it's a matter of misunderstanding the situation. Maybe it is that person's pride. Maybe it is deep-seated resentment. Or maybe it's because, for whatever reason, they don't know how to deal with kindness at all. There are a whole lot of people in this world who don't know how to receive kindness. Regardless, though, if you've ever had a well-meaning effort get rejected like that, you know it kind of hurts. And it's one very real consequence of doing good that sometimes that's the response you're going to get. You know the old saying, sometimes you cast your bread upon the waters and all you get back is soggy bread. (laughs) It is particularly true of the Christian life. If there is one thing we understand biblically, historically, and perhaps even personally, there is, if there is a viable connection between the life you lead and the life you've been given in Jesus Christ, you can expect some measure of rejection and suffering. I know, even as I was writing that, I'm thinking, oh boy, that's depressing. Do I really want to say that from the pulpit? But, but here's the thing. We who are resurrection people, we who have received new life in Jesus Christ, we are called to live right and to do good. But we're called to do that not merely in the times and places where it's easy and acceptable to do so, but also and especially in the face of the world's evil and its abuse. And in fact, that's where doing good really counts. Well, that's the truth that we find in our text for this morning that the Gail shared with us that serves both as a reality check for uh, those of us who would be do-gooders, but also, interestingly enough, a word of hope as well. Now, who will harm you if you are eager to do good, we're asked. But even if you do suffer for doing what is right, you will be blessed. Now, let's put this into context. And to put uh, uh, what 1 Peter is saying, we have to understand that this particular passage we've read today was actually meant as a word of encouragement to early Christians who were living under the constant threat of persecution, commending them to continue setting an example for a godly life, even as the world and its culture would keep on lashing out at them for who they were and for what they believed. Very often, they would lash out to them even to the extent of taking their lives. But Peter says to them here, do not repay evil for evil or abuse for abuse. Rather, he says, repay with a blessing, for it is for this that you've been called. You know, every time I come across a passage like that one, it real, I, I am reminded that this is another of those texts that seems at first blush to pretty much be ancient history. You know, by and large, whatever else we can say about it, we don't face the same kind of persecution as did the early church. And yet, as I was reading it again this week, it seemed to me that the challenges are much the same as they have ever been. I think you know what I'm talking about here. It's no secret that these are difficult times 
for us to be the church. Not only, as one Pew Research study has revealed, the numbers of those claiming to be Christians are decreasing, but the numbers also of those who would choose none of the above as their religion is increasing year by year. Moreover, and we see this in the headlines a lot these days, in these times when people are so sharply divided politically and otherwise, there also does seem to be this prevailing wind of culture that seeks to render our Christian faith as something irrelevant and antiquated at best and harmful and oppressive at worst. As I just heard pastor and author Max Lucado say this week, speaking both in terms globally and personally, he says that we are currently living in an age where we have ample reason to be an anxious people. Isn't that something? We are living in an age where we have ample reason to be anxious people. So given all of that, the question becomes, the question we need to be asking ourselves now is, as an anxious people then, how do we live lives that are loving, caring, and distinctively and unashamedly Christian? How does one abide? How does one keep the faith as true disciples and resurrection people when more and more there are people who would actively reject, discredit, and actively condemn what we stand for? Some of them even within the church body itself. Well, the answer, I think, is the same as it's always been. The bottom line, says Peter, is that suffering on account of one's faith is real. That persecution will happen. And that your Christ-centered goodness will be shot down sooner or later. But here's the thing, that doesn't mean you should stop. For says Peter, it is better to suffer for doing good if suffering should be God's will than to suffer for doing evil. Indeed, rather than holding back, these are the situations in which we are called, encouraged, admonished to be persistent in our prayer, devoted in our love, and consistent in our outreach. Doing what we do, being who we are, living our lives with conscience clear so that when we are maligned, and we will be, those who abuse us for our good conduct in Christ may be put to shame. Friends, we are not called to be fearful. We are not meant to be intimidated by those who act out of their fear or their anger. But we are meant to stand strong and to be ready to make our defense for the hope that is in us and to do it in the proper spirit, not with anger, not in bitter reaction to whatever else is going on, but always with gentleness and reverence and above all law, love. You know, I don't have to tell you, and we, we talk about this from time to time here, there's already far too much negativity, far too much divisiveness, and way too much finger pointing on display in this world. You can watch the news any day of the week and that becomes obvious. 
But quite frankly, all too much of that same negativity has found its way into the life and rhetoric of the church. And in these days of confused situations, that, friends, is a tragedy. Because what we need now more than ever is the ability to speak out our faith in a way that is articulate and intelligible and is a mirror reflection not only of the truth of what we believe as a resurrection people, but also for the ways we intend for the community of God's people to be. Friends, in the end, as Christians, we are held accountable not so much for what we think, but for rather how we love. So we need always to be prepared to courageously speak God's truth to the world, but to always do that with love girded in action. But lest you start to think that what I'm saying here is nothing but a warm and fuzzy Pollyanna-ish type of thinking that really has no real effect on the world around us, remember that we already have a supreme example for what we're talking about here in the person of Jesus Christ, crucified and risen. Jesus Christ, who is in fact the righteous for the unrighteous the one who gave all that we might, each and all of us, brought to God. In all the struggles we encounter trying to live faithfully in an often hostile world, we must never lose sight that our sheer persistence in doing good for Christ's sake cannot help but bring others, however slowly it might take, closer to God himself. The late Reverend Dr. W. Frank Harrington, he was a renowned Southern Presbyterian pastor, most of his ministry done in the city of Atlanta, Georgia. He was once asked what he felt was the main thing that he had provided for the church and his people over the course of his lifetime ministry and 29 years as pastor as of one congregation. You know, and, and I love questions like that because as I get a little older and as down the horizon a little bit, I, I, I look at the idea of retirement, I kind of ask myself with the same question. What is it about the ministry that is good and, and worthwhile? And what do we accomplish? Well, Harrington answered that question that while for better or worse, he always tried to do his best every day, he recognized that his greatest contribution to the ministry may well have been the fact that he endured, that he persisted, and that he had become, in his words, a point of continuity in a constant climate of change. I want to say that again. A point of continuity in a constant climate of change. You know what, whether you are a pastor or a parishioner, I'd say that was pretty important. For you see, as Harrington went on to say, one of the ways we cope with this harsh and faithless world comes in the knowledge that there are many people who, in the warp and woof of every day, are keeping the faith. Ordinary people who are points of light in the darkness that we see and experience. As they say, and this is especially true in faith, sometimes the first and best thing you can do is simply show up.
and do it with love. Now, I'll be honest with you folks. Sometimes I do struggle with this whole notion John Wesley put forth of doing all the good I can in every way and place and time I can. And it's not because I don't want to. It's not because I don't believe it. It's because no matter how hard I try, there is always more that needs to be done. Speaking pastorally now as well as personally, I confess I can't do it all. And I'm learning, albeit slowly, that this is why we're gathered together as a church. That's why we are a community of believers and not just a group of well-intentioned individuals. I'm very grateful for that. I can't do it all. But together we can do a great deal. But I do know this, that as I persist, as we all persist, in whatever way we can, in doing good in the name of our risen Lord, we make a difference. We open up new pathways for people as they come into this sanctuary and as they leave. We make sure love is the watchword for our lives, for our, our interactions with one another, and in the ways that we intend for the world to be. We make a difference because we make the pathway, a well-lit pathway of love and faith, all the wider and all the clearer for others. What's the old uh, saying? Another old saying? I am but one person, but hey, I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. What I can contribute, I should and I will. Beloved, may each one of us here have the strength to go out there this week and do good. And keep on doing good. And may our thanks be to God as we do. Amen and amen. And that's the message entitled, Doing Good. It was recorded during our May the 15th service of worship at East Congregational Church in Concord, New Hampshire, where we gather for worship each and every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. In person at the church uh, on 51 Mountain Road in Concord, or remotely via Facebook Live or on our YouTube channel. Either way, we would love to have you join us. And with that, we come to the close of this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. I'm Michael Lowry, and I do thank you for listening today. And until next time, may God bless you with a great day every day. We'll talk to you soon.